This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Yes, it's time once again. Hot Stove is here. Thanks for being with us tonight. Gary Hill here. We're here every Tuesday night from 7 to 9. This show is going to be a little bit different than most of them. Just a few days ago, we were at T-Mobile Park for the annual spring training luncheon. Myself, Shannon Dreyer, Aaron Goldsmith, all on hand. We had some wonderful conversations. So tonight, we're going to play you those conversations as Jerry DePoto stopped by. We had our chance to meet, first chance to meet, Teoscar Hernandez, one of the newest Mariners. Stephen Vogt, part of the coaching staff, former Oakland Day, a delightful conversation coming up. Also, we will sit down and chat with Chris Townsend as we continue our look. In fact, this is our last team that we'll talk about in terms of previewing the AL West. We've touched on the Rangers and the Angels and the Astros. And today it's the Oakland A's turn, and there's a lot swirling around uh, with the A's. So Chris Townsend gives us some really good insight on Oakland coming into the season. But we're going to start the conversation with Cal Raleigh. Cal was back in town as we had a chance to visit with the Mariners catcher. Cal, when's the last time you were back here at T-Mobile Park? I guess oh when the when I went to raise the uh, 12th man flag okay I got to come back here and uh kind of hang out in the locker room before we walked over and um but you know all these new additions here it's kind of cool to see and all the construction going underneath the stadium I mean, you mentioned raising the flag your life has changed a little bit since <laughs> the season yeah. ended I mean that was one of the coolest moments of my life get to do uh the flag and see the whole all of Seattle and the Seahawks and uh, right at kick kickoff too is uh, super cool, and I'm um, getting to do that and share with uh, my my pops and my brother was really cool. You will, no matter what happens in your career, and no matter where your career takes you, Cal, you are forever a Mariner. Now, uh, you have been a part of people's greatest sports moments. Now, based on what we all know that you did, how does that make you feel when you reflect and think about that? Um, I don't know if I could tell you. Uh, it's it's kind of surreal. Uh, I don't know if it's totally hit me yet. You know, the whole thing. Um, people always ask, like, what was it like? And I'm like, I, I just I still don't even know yet. But just that night in general was so special. You know, not just for me, just to share that with the fans and to see how many people stuck around afterwards. And my teammates, this organization, coaches, people that I've known since I got drafted were here. And, you know, some people that I've, uh, you know, shared memories with that are going to last a li- lifetime and, you know, friends that I'll always be friends with. And it's uh, it's super cool. It was obviously momentous for the city of Seattle. And one of the things that, you know, there was a lot of talk, would this be the group that ends the drought? And are they going to put that on their shoulders? And, you know, kind of conventionally, I would think, well, they're not responsible for all of that. 
But you guys, it does seem you did take it on, that ending the drought was in some ways personal, that you guys wanted to be the ones to do that. How did you internalize that? How did you use that? How did that play into what you what you as a team did last year? Yeah, I think, you know, first, you know, rewind all the way back to 21, you know, how close we were and came down to the last weekend of the season. And, you know, unfortunately, we didn't get it done. And uh, that, that kind of left a, you know, bad taste in our mouth and coming in 2022. And then you kind of get off to the slow start and you're like, oh, is this going to be the year? Is this not? Or, you know, not even you're not even thinking about the playoffs. You just want to have a good team and start winning games. And, you know, once things kind of started rolling and guys got a little more comfortable and kind of understood what, what was at stake, um, you know, down the stretch was some of the most fun baseball I've ever played in my life. You know, it didn't matter. If I went 0 for 4 or 4 for 4, you know, just going in and getting to play and getting a chance to win and knowing what was at stake and what was on the line was really fun. Along those lines, how do you think about, as the season ended, those three games against Houston where one swing could have changed every one of those games and changed the series? How do you think about how the season ended going into this year and the expectations? Yeah, again, it, it left a terrible taste in my mouth and our mouths. Uh, you know, um, you know, it it, uh, it stinks because you know, one swing of the bat, each of those games, you're like, could have won that game. You know, Julio, it's a ball off the wall. I don't know, one ten or something crazy. I mean, you know, it felt like that one should have went out. The roof's closed, maybe it's out. And then you know, obviously the. The other ones, uh, you know, hate thinking about it. But, you know, coming this year, we know it's a clean slate and we know uh, we have a job to do, you know, each game. And we know it's a long season and we know there's ups and downs. And uh, I think knowing that now, I think it's only going to help us. And, you know, we know we have to take it one game at a time. You know, we can't just go out right away and get in the playoffs. You know, it takes time. we got to win some games. we got to do some things. And, uh, you know, we're really excited to get going. This offseason, I hope you got a chance to – take a little breath after everything that happened but with you know so many things that happened and so many steps that were taken forward and you cementing a place on this team let alone being the guy who is raising a flag at a Seahawks I was worried about the thumb but just fine during that because I heard that's not easy to do uh, how different an off season was this for you yeah it's different you know last off season going into camp there's three catchers it's a short camp, obviously, with the lockout. Uh, you're not getting many at-bats because there's just not any to go around, you know, in one position. And uh, kind of have a fight for a job, and then even going into the season fighting for a job. Um, it's it's completely different. But, you know, my mindset's not going to change. You know, I have a job to do. Um, I'm not really worried about, I, you know, you never want to get too comfortable because many get comfortable and many th- you think you got to figure it out, you know, the game will kick you right in the butt, you know, whether that's baseball or another sport or even a job. So, you know, I'm just going to, you know, I'm grateful to be here and, you know, I'm uh, really excited for this upcoming season. Cal Raleigh is our guest. How's the thumb, man? It's great. You know, had the surgery, got the scar right there and it's, uh, you know, I've had checkups and been in talks with the doctor and uh, our uh, our staff here with the Mariners, and they're very happy with how it looks, and it feels great. You know, I caught my first bullpen yesterday, caught Marco, and uh, felt good, been swinging and everything, so... You mentioned catching Marco in a bullpen. I would love to think <laughs> that you two met at a random park in Seattle. Did you, did you catch him here, or where, where did you catch Marco? 
I yeah, we just went to a random park and yes. started selling red dogs right next to us. And else. <laughs> <laughs> no, he. Uh, I've been at AZ the past two weeks, and okay. you know he started coming to the complex a little bit, and um, he's been wearing me out. He's like, "When are you gonna catch me? When are you gonna catch me?" <laughs> he's like, "You're just avoiding me." I was like, "No, I got my thumb. Like I gotta take it slow, but uh, caught it, and it looked great the other day." So. I mean, catching Marco before catching Munoz seems, as a guy coming off a ligament surgery, this seems like the proper move. Yeah, I say that was a smart move. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a business decision. <laughs> Don't tell him I said that. You know, it's, we, we talked about you a lot, obviously, on the broadcast last year and your, your journey last season. And we're biased because we see you play every day. But it is really hard, Cal to try to find some type of comp for what your season was like last year that any other player went through. Because, I mean, you you were sinking. I mean, you know that. Um, before, kind of like before the home run in New York against the Mets, right? Like you were sent down. Obviously, you had to be recalled after the injury to, to Tom Murphy. But you were really struggling. And to fast forward from being optioned down to doing what you did at the end of the season. And I know you, you're too humbled to speak to this, but the equity that you had to have built up in that clubhouse, playing through what you played through at the end, that all those guys know better than we do what you went through, uh, it was like three seasons in one for you. <laughs> uh, did it feel that way at all? Or when you're in it, or you're just in it, and you're just thinking, you're just thinking about today? Yeah, I think you know at the time things were going so fast and you know we we had a job at hand and i was worried about what's on the field i wasn't even thinking about what was going on around me and how quickly it went and uh just kind of whenever since everything's kind of slowed down it's like wow that was really fun like i wish i can go back and do that again but um you know going back to getting options it was tough i mean not easy getting options you know it's uh kind of the first time you know, I've been told, you know, you're not good enough. You need to go get better. You need, and I think, you know, a lot of guys take it personal, I think, but at the same time, you got to realize, you know, the Mariners trying to win games, you know, um, you know, it's nothing personal. We just, we need you to get better and you got to take it that way. You got to look at it that way. You know, I got to get better. I got to make adjustments. I need to, uh, kind of approach the game a different way. And, uh, you know, even when I first came up, you know, I wasn't perfect from the getting recalled. You know, I had to learn. I did do some things different, look at look at the game a different way. And, uh, you know, once I kind of did that, the game started um, kind of, uh, not saying it got easier, but it was uh, a lot more simple. Did you, did you relax more when you came back up? I did, yeah. I've, I've always kind of been a high-strung person, especially when it comes to baseball. And It really sounded in your voice. <laughs> <laughs> well, it really shows. Um, it's baseball. It really right? seems like you're really... When I'm here like... with you guys, I'm just, I'm just chilling. So. But when it comes to baseball, you know, it's it's something that I've been doing for so long, and I love it, and, you know, I want to win. I want to be the best I can be, and, you know, it's something. But sometimes, you know, you get so close to something or... You know, you try too hard, and you know, I feel like I was at a point where I was just trying way too hard. I was trying to hit an eight-run home run. That's not even a thing. I mean, <laughs> you, you try to do all these things and try to get everything back in one swing, and you just can't. You have to understand that you know this is a hard game, and I just need to square the ball up. I just need to move a runner. I need to, you know, block this ball. I need to throw a guy out. I need to do the little things right, and I just want to help my team win. And I think, you know, once I started doing that and not worrying about, you know, my average or 
anything else that's kind of going on around me that doesn't matter. You know, once I started doing that, I think things got a lot uh, simpler. So how did it click? Like, what was the, was there a moment? Was it a a process? How did it click like that? Because that's what you're <clears throat> describing sounds really easy. Right? It sounds it's really not, easy to yeah. say, oh, just relax a little bit. But you're playing on the biggest stage in the world. It's not right. easy to do. So how did it happen? I think it just takes commitment. I think you gotta you gotta commit to something. You know, I think you know when you're wishy washy or you're you're one foot in, you're one foot out. Then I don't know if you're ever really committing something or you know making that adjustment. So I think you gotta be both feet in. Um, and, you know, once I kind of got a perspective change, you know, obviously I have my dad's a coach and he's my mentor and someone I can always lean on. He helped me out a ton and just kind of a, a good perspective change and understanding that this game isn't life or death. And, you know, I can help this team by not hitting a home run every single time and doing little things right and not worrying about the silly stuff. Is that something you had been confronted with in the past and kind of letting go a little bit and concentrating on the smaller things and what you can do or was this a first for you yeah i mean i haven't i've had ups and downs before i had a bad a bad year my sophomore year in college i had a kind of a bum thumb then as well and uh i uh i struggled a bit and it's not my first time struggling so i um but definitely the first time i've been sent down and understanding that i had to make an adjustment and um you know, with that being said, you kind of have to look at yourself in the mirror and you kind of, you know, be honest with yourself and uh, know that uh, there's adjustments to be made. And, um, you know, you can either go up or down from here. We're visiting with Mariners catcher Cal Raleigh. It's Hot Stove brought to you by Hatback. Looking for a fun spot to watch your favorite team? Come to the Hatback Bar and Grill. Located across from T-Mobile Park. Great food and beer plus free parking. It's the place to be. Visit hatback.com to make a reservation. We'll continue our conversation with Cal Raleigh coming up right after this. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Swing, hammered out to right field, ticketed back, back, and gone! How about another? Cal Raleigh on a historic night, his second career multi-homer game. Well, that was one of the many homers we saw last year from Cal Raleigh as our conversation continues with Cal. When you look back at his season last year, one of the most amazing aspects is barrel rate. Barrels simply defined as kind of the optimal launch angle and exit velocity. And to kind of give you the context, no surprise, Aaron Judge was first in baseball last year with a barrel rate uh, per plate appearance of over 15%. Jordan Alvarez was second in baseball. Mike Trout was third. You get the idea, right? Cal Raleigh was just outside of the top 10 in baseball last year. He was 12th with a barrel rate of 9.5%. By the way, Teoscar Hernandez was 10th, was 10th last year, which is significant. So, Cal, the question becomes, how do you square up a baseball? I think, um, you know, a lot of you see a lot of big guys in the game and guys who can hit the ball a long way, but it doesn't do you any good if you can't hit the ball, you know? So I think... Just cutting the swing down and um, just understanding that if I hit it, I know it'll go. And, you know, you hear that all the time, like, just touch it. Or the guy's still on 99. You don't have to do much. You just got to get the barrel out in front and square it up. And uh, it's just something that I kind of realized, you know, I don't need to hit the 500-foot home run. Or I don't need to hit, you know, 
three home runs in one game, stuff like that. Just knowing that if I square the ball up, I swing at good pitches, you know, the rest is going to take care of itself. You know, I'm not worried about, you know, getting out or having a hit fall. Like, those are all just things that you can't control. So all I know that I can control is swinging good pitches and, uh, you know, squaring the ball up, which you hear a lot from in our organization. Well, it is funny because you're talking about letting go the pressure of the damage and the big hit, and yet... Like that's all you did. <laughs> I, I think you found the key. I mean, I, I, truly, Cal, I, I'm sure this word trickles to you uh, at some point late in the season, but you had an historic season by Mariners catcher standards. The club's been around since 1977. There's never been a catcher hit more home runs in one year than what you did last year. I mean, it almost seems like freeing yourself up uh, mentally, as you've described uh, and enabled you to do the things that you were no longer focusing on doing. Right. Yeah. Um, it's that simple. <laughs> it's that simple. I wish that it was just that easy from the get go, but it's, it's not, it took a lot of hard work and it took a lot of focus and a lot of things that, you know, people, uh, you know, fans don't see, you know, whether it's in the, in the clubhouse in the, in the, uh, cages or even at, you know, my house. And, but, uh, you know, it's 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 not easy, but you know, once you're able to do that and kind of uh, understand that you don't have to be the best, you don't have to be this unreal expectation of yourself. You can just go out there and just try to help your team win. I think that's the biggest thing. Was like, I just want to win. I just want to play to win. When people play to win, you know, they tend to free their mind up and they're not thinking about, all right, I need to hit today or I need to hit a home, home run here i just want to help my team and i think that's the beauty of baseball is it's a team sport and it's one through nine when you get a bunch of guys who mesh together really well it's kind of what you saw last year at the end what's it like catching luis castillo's movement at 100 miles per hour it's not easy but it's uh i love it that he's on our team it's that's some nasty stuff and uh i mean we saw what he did last year and then him going to toronto and Doing what he did against a really good lineup, you know, I think people forget sometimes how good that lineup really is. And with him doing that and just absolutely carving him up, and I mean, that's a horse right there. That's a guy, you know, that's a that's a true one. So having that guy, you know, open up uh, on the mound for us this year on opening day is going to be super fun. And did you just make an announcement? I didn't make an announcement, <laughs> but I'm going to. I'm going to assume. That, you know what they say about assumptions. So I'm assuming that he will be after what he did last year. You know, we've never broken news on this show before, Cal. So we we liked you before. We like you even more you now. You can break it. Yeah. Who are you excited to get to work with down there on the pitching side? Um, you know, we got some new guys coming in. Um, but I'm really excited for you know to get back and work with everybody and kind of you know get off on a good foot and you know get on the same page like we were last year towards the end you know Matt Brash you know one guy that comes to mind who really took a step forward last year as far as you know you know when he got his new role and it's not easy you know everybody thinks that oh you go to the bullpen it should be easier you know it's 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 not it's it's having learn a new role something he's never done before and for him to come out and do what he did at the end of the year was super exciting and you're talking about a guy that could potentially be one of the best relievers in all of baseball um by his second year in the league not even so having having to work with him will be great um you know obviously working with 
George and Logan and all the starters, Marco, uh, you know, Flex, Robbie, Louie. It's 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 always fun, and I think we have a good group. Like I've said before, you know, the communication line is always open, so it's uh, it's easy to communicate. You can go back and forth. You can try to get um, you know the best out of each other. You know, not just me for him, but you know them for us as well. And uh, I think we have a a good group. You have in one season gained the greatest nickname of your era. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I, I've never heard you, I've never heard, maybe you've talked, I just haven't heard it, publicly address Big, Big Dumper. Dumper yeah. oh, can we do that again in stereo? That was great. Um, I mean, I'll be honest, Cal, when this first, you know, first it was like the water started, it wasn't simmering yet. There were just little bubbles at the bottom of the pan, right? Yeah. And then it started to simmer a little bit. And we we started catching wind of Big Dumper, and we didn't feel comfortable um, putting that out there. Uh, but then Mariner Social came to you, from what I heard, and they said, are you okay with us full branding Big Dumper? And you gave them your blessing. I did. And then you went to a classroom after the season was over with, <laughs> and they chanted Big Dumper, Big, Big Dumper, Dumper Big That's Dumper. Right. I mean, you're all in. I'm all in on it. I, uh, <laughs> I I love it. I think it's great. <laughs> My mom, different story. But, <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's awesome. I mean, the fact that fans can have a funny nickname for me and, and you know, laugh about it and enjoy it and come to the ballpark. and People who are close to you, do they just call you Dumper? It, it changes. They call me Dump, Dumper, Big Dumper, Dumpy. Uh, which I don't like dumpy as much. I've, I've heard that one a few times, but it, it's cool. I mean, I walked this morning walking here. I was working out, and um, in the glass case, there's it's not Raleigh jerseys. It's big dumper jerseys yes. yeah, and right. big dumper t-shirts. And I'm like, this is what it is now. So, so. You're, you're pregame, and you're walking, you know, you're milling around, and there's 30,000 people here, and people start screaming, hey, dumper, big dumper. You're like, all for it. Boy, now that we're uh, tackling the most important issues, so we had Logan on the show last week. Oh, boy. And we posed the question, who's got the better goatee, Logan or Cal? We're going to pose the same question to you. Who's got the superior goatee, you or Logan? I kind of want to hear his answer, but... Where do you think Logan got his goatee idea from? I mean, I've been rocking it longer than he has, but I'm honestly surprised because Logan's such a routine-oriented person, and, you know, he does the same thing. Like, I don't know. I mean, I roomed with him for five years now. He's kicking me to the curb, though. Oh. Yeah, I know. Oh. He's got a wife now. Yeah. So I guess that's okay. Uh, I. But you're the big dumper. <laughs> I know, right? That's what I'm saying. I was like, you guys get a two-bedroom. I'm going to sleep in the other one. and No, but uh, he, I mean... I'm surprised that he actually did it, and now I've heard he's rocking a mustache, so I don't know what he's doing over there. He's just oh. completely changing. He's, But uh, he's he cracks me up. We talked the other day for like an hour and a half on the phone, and I actually got him. Uh, you know they make stencils for goatees? I don't even, I have no idea what you're talking I about. I got him a stencil for his goatee <laughs> for his uh, wedding gift. What, was, is, what is this? I have no idea. I can't even it's like a what plastic. This it's like a plastic, uh, uh, I don't even know, what, like a... Like is this like for, a gr- it's for like it's a for, gro- for grooming yeah. purposes? Yes. Okay. So like when you're oh, shaving, you probably spray. Oh, yeah. shave around it. I got him a real gift, but this is kind of like a <laughs> gag. <laughs> this is kind of like a gag gift, and I got it for him. I was like, all right. So when you're shaving your goatee now, you don't have to guess. Am I in the right? Or so we can just shave without do you, even. Do you use a stencil? Uh, when I got him one, I actually got myself one. 
Oh, well, you, there's nothing to mess with. Yours is perfect. It's because I have a stencil. That's why it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, but it sounds like you. It sounds like you. You'd long. You would pre, your goatee predated stenciling. Is that not right? It did. I didn't find out about this till somebody showed it to me. I think it was like someone DM'd me. They're like, "Hey, you need to get this for yourself because <laughs> you always have a goatee." And I just can't grow a beard. I can't. I, well, I'm, that's what he said. Yeah. Also. What if just, you and Logan had a goatee grow off? And starting Ooh. opening day, I get messy. You just—that's the whole idea. Who's gonna let it? Who's gonna let it ride? Who can take it? The long, I mean, you got the gear. I don't know. It gets pretty itchy. I don't know if you guys ever had. You got a beard. Yeah. Yeah. No, Gary's. I had a goatee for a long time. Yeah. Did you? I mean, yeah, Gary the, tried to the cover stencil much of his thing's face actually really nice because what people don't realize is you start to shave and it gets thinner and thinner and thinner, and all of a sudden you just have this little line right here. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to get great. a tooth. You don't yeah. want to get a tooth thing. Yeah. Then it so the look stencil. Yeah. Yeah. I'm all in on that. It's, it's harder than. The, harder do you than manicure your own, or do you uh, have the? Does the barber at the clubhouse do this? Do no, you trust the barber? I do it myself. You don't. You don't trust a lot of people when it comes to close to face stuff. I understand. So I've actually never had a shave before. What do they call them? Like the straight yeah, like razor? A straight, yeah, yeah. Straight, yeah, exactly. I I've never grown general. facial hair, so I can't relate to this. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I wish I could contribute to this conversation. I just ask questions. <laughs> I, have no, I have nothing that I can add, unfortunately. Were there any special catcher duties in the wedding? Did you have to have a little talk with him before anything? or? I gave him a pep talk before the wedding, so it... Uh, it was more of a funny pep talk than it was anything. So <laughs> it was cool, though. I mean, I got to spend it with him and his family and his friends, and uh, it was super special. And I'm, I'm super happy for him and Av. And uh, it was a fun night too. I mean, Julio got to go, Kel got to go. Um, we had a few guys from our minor league days there as well, a bunch of Mariner guys, and it was a lot of fun. You know, we had a good time and danced. And did, was there any ounce of Walter that showed up? Like it's game day. It's like it's start day. <laughs> I mean, did he had to resist turning into Walter on his wedding day? Um, he was locked in. He was locked in. So we kind of had to loosen him up and be like, "Hey, you're not starting. This isn't this isn't game one against the Astros. Like, this is the wedding day. You should enjoy it." So, but he had a great time too. I think he ended up doing a split at his wedding. What? Yeah, what? what? You'll have to ask him about it. Like a legit split. A legit this guy can do a real split. I don't, know, I don't know if I spilled the beans on this, but you guys are going to have to ask him because, you know, we're going up. I mean, we're always in the apartment or whatever to the miners. And, yeah, one day he just busts out a, a split. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, Who can do a split? He can do a full-on split. And he dropped it, dropped it down to his wedding. Dance so. floor, I assume. That's the only of place course. this would be. Okay, Naturally. This, you know. How, hey, so take the split out. Okay. Yeah. You can't factor this in your judgment. How is Logan as a dancer? Because we've seen him run. Oof. <laughs> it's ugly. I'm not going to lie. I love Logan, and he's a great guy, but that guy was not made to dance. I mean, he's got a lot of extension. Better, pe- better a, pitcher than dancer. That's a lot of... It's a lot of arms a lot of, and legs. Yeah. It's a lot to control. Yeah. No, it's hard for anybody. Yeah. I mean, like listen, I'm not a good dancer, but he's definitely not a good dancer. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Oh, Cal. Thank you so much. It's great to see you. And uh, I guess we'll see you in a couple weeks in Arizona. I know. I'm looking forward to it. It'll be fun. Well, there it was. Seattle Mariners catcher Cal Raleigh. Hot Stove continues, brought to you by Hatback. Next time you're at Hatback Bar and Grill, make sure to check out Steelhead's Alley, a space dedicated to Seattle's 1946 Negro Leagues team. Plus, enjoy the collaboration with Seattle's own Medier Brewing. For more info, visit hatback.com slash steelheads. We will continue. Jerry DePoto will visit us coming up right after this. 
The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Teoscar Hernandez leads it off with a swing and a drive. Deep to left center field, and this one is gone again. Teoscar Hernandez, a two-run home run in the second. And now a leadoff home run off of Robbie Ray here in the bottom of the fourth. And the Blue Jays now lead it. Four to nothing, and what a day for Teoscar Hernandez. Well, that was not a great highlight at the time, but now Teoscar Hernandez is on the Mariners' side as we're joined by Jerry DePoto, Gary Hill alongside Shannon Dreher, and Aaron Goldsmith. By the way, Teoscar Hernandez will be our guest coming up in just a few minutes. But let's start right there with Teoscar. What makes him... Such a great fit for the Mariners. From the time we we had first considered Teoscar as a as a potential acquisition, and this dates back to before the 2021 season. Uh, is the first time we con- contacted the Blue Jays about lining up for him. We talked to them again prior to 2022, and part of the attraction is that we have always heard phenomenal guy. You know great teammate. He's very easy to talk to, uh, easy to engage with. It was pretty obvious from the first phone call we had with him. Uh, what he brings to the middle of our lineup is seems easy to, to identify. He hits the ball about as hard as anybody on earth. He has been one of the most productive middle-of-the-order hitters in the league over the course of the last three years. I think uh, second or third to, to Aaron Judge and maybe Bryce Harper and, and home runs over that time. Just produces runs and and, and does it regularly. You know, he's, he's been a mainstay uh, 2019-2021 uh, barring maybe a little bit of missed time last year, I think with an oblique He's been steady Eddie out on the field and producing. And uh, that means something to us because in addition to, to pushing our ceiling, we really wanted to prop up the floor as well. Because, you know, when we go through our big lulls and, and we've had a couple of, we had one early in last season, you know, Mayish. Uh, typically we, we run into it when we wind up with players on the, the injured list and we weren't deep enough to absorb that. Having players who have good histories, durable players who are out on the field and now increasing the depth in our organization with what we think we've increased the depth in our organization we should be able to to weather those storms because they'll come again jerry since you bring up uh, health and durability your rotation was remarkable last year uh, nobody missed a start uh, you essentially had six starters after the acquisition of Luis castillo it doesn't happen. And it, when it does happen, it doesn't happen by accident. Uh, in your mind, what were the key factors that enabled that or kind of miraculous feat in today's game to actually transpire? I think it was just I think it was miraculous. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of feels that way. You know, it, it was it, it was it was remarkable even while we were living through it. You know, you, you want to pinch yourself because pitcher health is such an unpredictable thing. And it can take a magical season, which, you know, ultimately we had and turn it on its ear pretty quickly. Um, we're fortunate enough now going into the season where we have six healthy starters to, to line up with. We've got another five or six in back of that group that we feel really good about. You know, whether it's young guys with big talent who are close or experienced guys who've been through it before and can sub in, I would not expect that we're going to go through our season and not get dinged the way we were able to last year. So building that depth was an important element for us. Uh, Part of it is arm health. I would like to give our high performance and, and training groups some credit 
because of the way we've tried to manage innings on the front end uh, and because of the throwing programs that, that Woody and Trent and, and our trainers have, have really driven from dating back to the, the minor league development of, of George and Logan and, and the group that's come through on through what we do at the big league level. And, uh, you know, it, it takes a village to do it all. And I, and I think it takes a village to make sure you use six starters over the course of a big league season because it doesn't happen very frequently. I don't think it also happens very frequently when you have a switch hitting catcher come up and just kind of take over the world and go through all the ups and downs of a season in a month and then pick up and go. I know he technically wasn't a rookie last year, but it was in effect a rookie season for Cal Raleigh. How remarkable in your eyes is it and kind of comparable to others and what he was able to accomplish in that year? You know, two things really strike me. One specifically with Cal more than even the development on the field, which we've always believed that that would happen. It ran in conjunction with his development as a leader in our clubhouse and, and managing our game. Uh, there's He does a phenomenal job of working with our pitchers. Of He very quickly became uh, like a go-to. He was a veteran overnight in his in his game management skills. And the, the starting pitchers especially, they invested in him almost immediately. Uh, and, and to watch what evolved offensively in, in his game as that went along. I think it was the confidence that began with his the quality of what he was doing behind the dish and in his leadership role that really started to bleed into his offensive game. And, and Cal represents to me what is most intriguing about our season is that we didn't play the Astros a lot in the second half last year. You know, we, we uh, our team was very different from, let's call it, mid-June until season's end. And I think we, at that point, we only saw them maybe four times. And uh, Cal was a very different player at the end than he was in April and May. Same with Julio, same with George, same with Logan. Same, you know, all these guys evolved in a way that just made us a very different team. And and I don't really look back at, at last year's team like we need to make up 16 games. It's because of growth like Cal Raleigh. It's a we're a very different team at the end. You know, we were 16 games behind because of the hole we dug ourselves on the front end. But we're just, you know, we were a different team, and I think it's going to continue to evolve. They're still young. Along those lines, what is the growth expectation for a young core like that from one year to the next year, knowing that every player is a little different? But how do you think about that with so many different guys in kind of that same boat? You know, last year was like the dreamscape where so many of them clicked right about the same time and just started taking off. And and like we talked about just a moment ago with Cal, that confidence that develops when that's all happening, I think just carries over. You know, I there's we've all experienced it in our playing lives. And, and if you're going to carve out a career of, of any length, you know what that feels like when, when it becomes a similar feeling to you, like how you felt playing in high school or in college or when you were in the minor leagues. I think a lot of our guys got over that hump last year. Still some that, that we need to help over that hump, but we're confident that they can do it too. And when they come like a flood like that, you it is what you see. The energy, the the electric, you know, they love coming to the ballpark every day because they're experiencing something for the first time, which is that major league success. And they're doing it with, you know, what wound up being a ballpark full of of fanatics that were mm. that were dying to see a team do this and and, and i think they really they, they really enjoyed it and and 
they live their off season preparing to do it again. We're still the youngest team in our division, or we project to be. Uh, we added a ton of, of experience with guys who've played in postseason environments. I think 22 different postseason years for the guys we picked up, either via free agency or trade. And that was because we saw what happened last year in our clubhouse when we brought Carlos Santana in. And, and they had a veteran guy who'd been through it, who could sit there and talk to them and help them. Their, their talent, their energy, the enthusiasm, you know, their competitiveness on the field, really, it, it speaks for itself. Having guys in that clubhouse that can help them manage the long season, I think was, it was, it was a goal of ours this offseason, and I think we, on that, we delivered. Jerry DePoto is our guest. How have you and Justin and the entire front office and the baseball ops department been able to put together a roster, both in terms of homegrown guys, but specifically also guys that you've, you've got on and, and taken from other organizations that really seem to fit the culture as well as they have? I, it, we've heard it from the opposition. Uh, we've heard it certainly internally. Cal Raleigh was talking about it earlier today. We've heard Scott talk about it extensively. He's a big part of setting that culture. But it re- it seems a lot harder than what you guys have made it look like because it really does feel like, and it probably predates even last year, but everybody's rolling in the same direction these days for the Mariners. You know, one of the things about it, and and I think Jim Leland, who I played for in Colorado in the 90s, uh, you know, his one-year stint in, in Colorado, uh, Jim said to me, he said, I'm not a chemist. I don't know how to develop chemistry, but I know when I see it, and then my goal becomes not to f it up, <laughs> and, and it's a and and I think that's you know we've watched what's happened with this team. I don't fancy myself a chemist, but you know as we've gone through uh, the years with this club, you see personal traits. Each one of them has you know someone might be you know in, in Julio's case, he, he's magnetism, he's personality, he's also humility. He's you know he's he provides leadership in ways that you couldn't possibly have imagined. Imagine from a 21 year old, you know, from Kelnick, you get intensity, you get work ethic, you get you, you get competitiveness from Robbie Ray. You get steady. You you get, you know, the, the, the ups and downs don't really exist with Robbie. You know, he rides the steady. And, and and I think that's positive. That's the same thing you get out of George. It's a it's just steady across. You know, Ty France, has, he's the guy that, that kind of it's the the quiet jokester in the background, the guy who takes a, a little poke and it's, you need that. You need JP Crawford who can be like the, the emotion in a moment to help lift you. You need Gino's good vibes. And when all of that starts coming together, don't lose that, you know, keep that together when you, when you watch it. And then as you see things develop that might negatively affect that, make changes and, and make sure to preserve that community in your clubhouse because that's how you win and that's how you sustain winning that's uh and you can I, I used to joke around uh, through the years once you've developed that core now you can invite someone in who might not have the the, this, the qualities that that you were looking for when you were developing that community and they they bring him in and they hug him they they, they envelop that player and he becomes part of that core even though that's it's not a natural fit for him but you have to let that cement cure before you get to that point. And I think our group has, has done an effective job of that. Kind of along those lines, I think one of the neatest things I saw last year, I covered this team for a gazillion years, and along the way at the trade deadline, there would be guys that were grumbling. We're not doing anything. We're not getting in. It might help that you got Luis Castillo, too, a little bit earlier. But this group had 
it seemed like a, an intense belief in themselves. Um, and I think it goes well beyond the Ted Lasso belief. But I'm, there was a, a kind of a turning point where they were saying out loud, we're more than a wild card team. We can go deep in this thing, which seemed to almost come out of nowhere to see that develop. I mean, how important was that to what you're trying to do? And what was how did you kind of view when this team started to go and think, you know what, we're, we got it here. We got what we need here. See, that's the dream. And, you know, I, I'll say we went to dinner early this offseason with JP and, and talked about, you know, openly about now what do you think we need? What does the team ne- need next to get over it? And he said, from what I see, we got what we need right here. To, to Shannon's point, that's a belief. It's a belief in the teammates around you. It's a belief in what you can do. And then when the next player walks in, you know, when Teo comes through the door or Colton Wong comes through the door or Luis Castillo comes through the door, you can be excited for, for what that's going to do to you. But they don't need it every day. They don't want it. When you're constantly sitting there focusing on the thing that you don't have, you forget how good the thing you have is. And, you know, and our players have built a community in our clubhouse they believe they can play with anybody. They know that they're good enough to go win the World Series. They know that any day, and, and we can go deeper than most in the number of pitchers we can send out there that can just shut down an opponent. They know that when you know the Bomberos come rolling in, that they have confidence in every single one of those guys that runs out. And that's it's such a unique thing. Uh, you know, it, it, it's I've never been around a team who believes in one another the way this team believes in one another. Uh, there are no backseat GMs. There are no, you know, that you need to make this trade. There are no walking up to the office to tell you, you know, they're fed up with X, Y, and Z. And maybe there will be someday. I don't think so, though. They're, this team is just wired in a different way. And and uh, and my, my goal is let them continue to drive this because the dream was that they create the culture that, that they ultimately have. Resident with Jerry DePoto as Hot Stove continues, brought to you by Hatback. This Sunday, get ready for the ultimate watch party at Hatback Bar and Grill. Over 20 TVs, great food and drink. It's the perfect place to catch the big game. Visit hatback.com slash reservations to book your spot today. We continue our conversation with Jerry DePoto. More right after this. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Welcome back to Hot Stove. We continue our conversation with Jerry DePoto. And there's been so much of this conversation already talking about the pitching that this organization has offered. And you look at what this organization has done developmentally the past few years. Logan Gilbert, George Kirby, Paul Seawald from outside the organization. Just go down the list of all the wins development-wise, not only with pitching now in the major leagues but also the pitching that we've talked about hey rob bradford here you guys know i'm always up for a good mvp story and one of the best stories is wasabi technology wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams including 20 major league baseball teams like the red Sox and nhl teams like the bruins and vancouver canucks even the liverpool football club is getting in on the wasabi action so why is wasabi the mvp well wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the amazon's 
of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. That's on the way. What has allowed this organization to be so great the last, especially the last couple of years, in developing pitching? You know, I'd like to tell you that, that it was that there was one key. If I had to point at one thing, it's probably two things. And it's called Woody and Trent. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think we have a phenomenal pitching setup within our organization, you know, that starts here in Seattle with Trent and Woody, uh, Max Wiener in, in our farm system. Now Matt Pierpont, who, who assists Max there. We are really built out in that area. And this this is something that started for us back in, you know, late 2018, early 2019. You know, we started scratching the surface with Brian DeLunis when, when Brian was with us. And, and we started building out these programs. And most importantly, not only were we drafting talented pitchers like Logan Gilbert, George Kirby, etc. We were drafting pitchers who believed in the things that we were doing. And, and when you have that, when you have... 95 to 100 with a good breaking ball, a lot of strikes, and belief in the people who are building the programs, that has a chance to, to turn into magic. And uh, along the way, and, and I'd like to tell you that, that we forecast that Paul Seawald was going to turn into one of the best relievers in the American League over a couple-year period. You know, when, when you have success bringing players in and, and changing the arc of their career, you know, a, there's always the biggest part of that is the player's willingness to, to do something different, to buy in. Uh, we had that with a couple of, of pitchers through the years, Paul among them, and that created such a belief in the programs that we're running. And I, and I think I've shared it with you guys. We now get phone calls from, you know, pitchers who are at that stage in their career who want to come to the Mariners, uh, which is kind of a cool thing when when you're getting those calls and it's a testament to the quality of those people who I just named. I think Trent Blank has the greatest ratio of the most name drops with <laughs> the least amount of people knowing who he is. <laughs> he's so, dead. So I know his role has changed this year. Tell us about Trent and why he's so important, what he does for your organization. You know, so Trent, we, we hired Trent. Brian DeLunis actually brought Trent to uh, the Mariners. And uh, Trent was at the time working at uh, Dallas Baptist University. He's got a very unique perspective on pitching. He's, he's the, at the intersection of high-performance arm care and pitch development, pitch pitching coach. Uh, there's, and I would say he leans maybe more toward the, the former than the latter in, in, his, in his resting position. Uh, quiet guy, huge impact on our systems and our programs. Every one of our players respects him. Uh, you know, wildly, he, he flies under the radar around the league. Now, I say that we've had five or six calls through the years asking about Trent from anything from a major league pitching coach to, to running somebody's high performance programs. Fortunately for us, he's opted to stay with us each time. Uh, he has changed our world in a lot of ways. And this year he will no longer be in the bullpen where he's, he's been since the 2020 season. He will be moving into the dugout to, to try to affect 
in-game strategy as well as the you know the, the the way we are developing pitching plans. You know, Trent has a lot of planner in him uh, that that gets lost in the bullpen. And uh, there's Stephen Vogt will be out in the bullpen with the guys on a on a daily basis where he spent a lot of days in his in his baseball life, and uh, and votes like a perfect tonic for for how you get through 162 <laughs> uh, and and Trent will affect the day to day with our staff and it's also going to give Trent a, a, an opportunity to tap into for two years now he's been our director of pitching uh, and strategies he also oversees what's happening at our developmental system and when that's when you get into a 162 game season especially like our second half last year when every game every inning is so no important to the outcome there's you tend to invest in that and this should give trent the ability to maintain his oversight of what's happening throughout our system before there was you there i don't think were strategists i think you had an offensive coordinator at one point the growth since you have gotten here and baseball ops and analytics and all of that what what how do you compare from how many people roughly oh my gosh it's it's changed so much and uh and to, to the credit of some people that are here and and they are movers for us you know jesse smith and joel Furman really stand out in our analytics department we've since had out of dave cameron who i think is one of the most impactful player personnel uh, analysts that i've ever encountered and it's uh his ability to, to cross lines in our group and and have a conversation with a scout and an analyst and bring them together is pretty phenomenal. Uh, what we've been able to do in interesting program development in, in the minor league system, I think if I look back, you know, seven going on eight years now, the biggest thing was we were willing to make mistakes on the front end and we were willing to, to break a few windows. And in some cases, we probably broke more than a few. And Many of the people that we that we brought in here and took chances on. I, I think Max Weiner became our our pitching coordinator. I believe at the 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 robust you know old age of twenty five, <laughs> uh, to the point where we were actually you know this past off season I was asked by another team that was trying to develop their pitching programs, you know, and we wind up being now a team that gets called a lot for you know some a personnel, but but b hey what's the roadmap here? How did you do the things that you do and and uh, is it true that you guys hired a 19-year-old pitching coordinator? He was 25. <laughs> no, it's, but we took chances on young people like Jared DeHart, like Max Weiner, who didn't have a lot of experience, like Connor Dawson. You know, it, we, it, it's it, it, it's probably the thing I'm most proud of is that you know we probably would not have evolved the way we did organizationally or been prepared for sustaining this success that I think we're now prepared to sustain if we had not gone through building those programs with those young people, trusting them to lead us towards something or into an area where, frankly, we were carving a new path that we didn't know a lot about. And, you know, it's it, it required the village and, and they led the way. And, and it's it's been so, you know, a titanic change for us organizationally. And, and some of the things that I remember, you know, as, as tenants of my own eight and 10 years ago, I now, I look back and I'm like, Oh my God, did I really think that way? <laughs> and it's a, uh, and, and credit to the people that we work with. They, they do a phenomenal job and deserve all the credit. Thanks, Jer. You bet. There it is. Jerry Depoto. It's the hot stove planning on coming out to more than one Mariners game this season. 
Well, you should. Consider a Flex membership. You can choose the games and seats you want all season long, plus save at least 10% on tickets and pay no fees. Come on board at Mariners.com slash Flex. We still have a lot to get to in this edition of Hot Stove. Chris Townsend going to give us a look at the A's later on in the show. Speaking of A's, Stephen Vogt. Former Oakland Athletic, former All-Star, now a part of the Mariners coaching staff. He's going to visit. Coming up next, though, we are going to sit down with one of the newest Mariners, slugger Teoscar Hernandez. That comes up next right after this as Hot Stove continues. This is the Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. The next offer on the way, swing and a fly ball deep to left field. Kelda going back, looking up, and goodbye baseball. Teoscar Hernandez with a two-run home run here in the bottom half of the second. And the Blue Jays have taken an early 2-0 lead. Well, that homer was obviously when Teoscar was on the other side, now a Seattle Mariner. Hot Stove continues. Gary Hill, Shannon Dreyer, Aaron Goldsmith here as we sit down with one of the newest Mariners, Teoscar Hernandez. And the obvious starting point, how does it feel to be a Seattle Mariner? Oh, man, it feels great. Uh, As soon as uh, I got traded, I was so, so excited. Uh, to join uh, the club and, and the people, the, the players, the fans, and and all the things that that I watch from from the other side, uh, the excitement that this organization have and, and and the people around it, and for me it's it's, it's a pleasure to to be part of it. So. I know when players switch <clears throat> teams, there's a lot of text messages that get exchanged, a lot of phone calls. Has Robbie Ray reached out to you? <laughs> <laughs> because he he's probably happy that you're now uh, no longer facing him. He actually was the first one. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. Robbie was was my guy. We were we became a really close friends in in, in Toronto in the time that that, that he's been over there uh, a couple of years ago. He's an excellent person. He's always there, trying to help him everybody and try to do things to make everybody feels good and. Uh, he's he's unbelievable, and now I had the chance to play with him again, as in the same team. So, what was that like? We all kind of went through it together at the end of in October in Toronto. What did you see from the Mariners when they were on the other side in that series? Oh, I think uh, I mean I think we had them in that game. <laughs> You're right. I think we, we we're gonna win that game easily, and and then we're gonna fight, and next day. Uh, to go through through the through the next step, uh, but uh, they see a chance, and they take care, they take care of, and and they come back and win ball game. I mean, it was it was like a shock for us because we never thought we were gonna lose that game. But uh, that shows a lot uh, of the things that that this organization, that this team can do, and it doesn't matter if they're losing. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna steal in the game and then they're gonna try everything in their power to try to come back and win it. We've seen the the workout pictures, the videos with you and Julio. What's your relationship <clears throat> like with Julio? I mean, right now uh, we, we we're just trying to get it uh, together 100. percent Try to be in the same page uh, and try to learn from each other. Uh, I'm trying to know him and really well, so so we can be really close in the, during the season and it's been training. Uh, but he, it, it, like, 
you can see that from the other side. You don't have to meet Julio to know that he's an excellent person, that he's an excellent uh, kid and an uh, awesome player, uh, that he's enjoy everything that he do in, in, in a baseball field and even out of the baseball field. He's always uh, happy. He's always trying to have him fun, making jokes with, with the people around him. And and that tells a lot about a people, about a person. And he's been excellent. Uh, we've been having a lot of fun in, in Tampa training. Mariners outfielder Teoscar Hernandez is our guest. You and Julio seem really similar, right, in a lot of ways. Big smile, big personality. You look like you both, well, we know Julio, and we've seen you from afar, just love playing baseball that seems to be a real theme up and down the roster for the mariners when you found out of the trade i know you spoke to a little bit about your excitement but from a culture standpoint this seems like the perfect fit for you in terms of the the environment that scott and his coaching staff have created for the players that that's why that was one of the reasons i was so happy because uh, i was going uh from a team that is almost doing the same thing that the Mariners were doing last year. And and you can see that. Like, the Blue Jays were a team that, that we're together when I was there, uh, that we trying every little moment, we're trying to make it the best that we can and enjoy the best that we can. And going to an organization that you can see it from the other side, the same thing that you were doing in Toronto, it's 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 a perfect fit for me. And... And one of the reasons I was so excited for uh, for the trade, it was because of that, because I was uh, going into a team that is, is going to continue doing the same thing that you were doing in the, uh, when you were in the, in the old team. What is it like for a player when you get on a team where everybody is invested, that they do take ownership of it, and they are going in that same direction? It sounds like you had it in Toronto. We saw that with this group last year. What does that do for you as a player? It does a lot, you know. It gives you one of the biggest things uh, as a player is that to be uh, your confidence. Uh, when you go out there, you know your teammates are, are going to get you back. It doesn't matter what happened in, 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 on the field. They're always going to be there for you and and vice versa. You're always going to be there for them. And and I think that's that's one of the biggest things for, for a baseball team. You have to be there for each other. You have to... Uh, fight together if somebody make an error just don't worry you you got it the next time or or a pitcher give up a homer you just go go out there you just keep fighting keep fighting we we, we we're gonna get it we're gonna get back to the game and, and we're gonna win it so that's that for me that's the key and that's uh the biggest thing we're pleased to be joined by teoscar hernandez mariners outfielder Teoscar, you have some really elite skills in the batter's box. I mean, you are a true middle-of-the-order bat. That's why you're here. That's why the Mariners got you. There are few players in the game right now who hit the ball consistently as hard as you do and who find the barrel as frequently as you do. What is it besides just strength? Because there's a lot more than that, we know. Mm -hmm. What is it besides that that enables you to do that year in and year out? I don't know. I think is uh, not thinking about it. Uh, I'm going out there and, and, and not think about uh, what I can do. Uh, it just trying to get focused and, and, and having a good swing, uh, looking for one uh, a specific pitch, uh, one spot, and trying to to make the best that I can. And uh, the results, I'm not worried about the results. I just wanted to get a good at bat 
and try to do things to, to help the team. What about away from the field? Who is Teoscar Hernandez? What if you you know you're in the off season? You've got all of this time to yourself now. What what do you like to do when you're you can put baseball away? For uh, a I like I like to cook. Uh, mm-hmm. I like to spend time with my family, with my kids, uh, because during the season, I see my kids maybe when when we wake up in the morning, and then I come here, and by the time I get back home, they're sleeping. So. Uh, I like to spend time with my, with my families, with my kids. Uh, I go back to the Dominican with with my people that see me grow uh, as a person and as a player, and just have a good time over there. As we have this conversation, we're looking out at T-Mobile Park. How much do you enjoy playing here? I don't know, but it's a, it's a lot. I don't know. <laughs> it just it just from from the beginning of my career. Uh, uh, when I was in Houston, I, I came here, and the first time I said, "Wow, this is this is beautiful." And since then, I love this stadium, and it's one of my favorites. And now I'm gonna be here as a player, playing for the home team. I, I gotta know more about Chef Fernandez. <laughs> uh, I mean, Scott Service. Let's say Scott Service is coming over to your place for dinner. Mm-hmm. Like, what are we making the skipper? Anything that he wants. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask him. Uh, obviously, what's his uh, favorite food, uh, and I'm gonna make it for him. Uh, I know how to, how to cook uh, anything. What's, the, what's the meal that you make that your family enjoys the most? And I realize that there are kids involved here, so that you know, you're, it's on a curve a little bit as a result. But what's the go-to home meal? Uh, I mean, I, I can say rice, beans, and chicken. Uh, I'm really good in, in, in the grill, too. I know how to make a lot of meat different ways, uh, different flavor, flavors, too. But uh, I can make a lot of, a lot of different uh, plates, and they're good, too. Do you follow recipes, or did you learn when you were growing up? What, what are your influences when you were cooking? Well, I learned when I was in Rookie Bowl uh-huh. on my own. I have to learn because... Uh, uh, we didn't get paid a lot in rookie ball, so I have to figure it out so I don't have to spend a lot of money buying food. I'm glad you brought that up. I was looking at your minor league log. So here you are, a kid from the DR. You play your first year of professional ball there, then you come to the States. Mm-hmm. You're 19 years old. You spent part of that season in Lexington, Kentucky. The next year... You're now 20. You spend almost the entire season in Davenport, Iowa. Iowa. What is a 19- and 20-year-old kid from the Dominican Republic, what is it like being in Kentucky and Iowa? I mean, that is that would test anybody. I mean, uh, uh, when I came to, to, to the States, I had a goal, and that is to be the best player I can be. And... To move forward the same year throughout leagues, and when I get here, I just get focused on baseball. I don't, I don't get distracted. I don't, I don't drink. I don't go out. Uh, when it's uh, season time, it's season time. So I don't, I don't do anything else besides that. But just work and get focused on the things that I have to do in a in a baseball field. Was the cooking when you were in the Gulf Coast League? Was that as much economical because of money savings as it was feeling home, like feeling like there was a sense of home there. 
Uh, or was this strictly dollars and cents, Teoscar? Yeah. It's, 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 it's <laughs> you know, you, you as a kid, you 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 like to save. Uh, especially me, I'm not a big fan of of buying clothes or shoes or shins and necklaces and all that. I don't. I'm not a material guy. I don't follow that. But I, I like to to save and do the things that I. That I love. Should we be watching you and sunflower seeds in the dugout? Should we? I mean, I have to ask the the other guys okay. see if they like it. If not, it's okay. Baseball uh, Baseball Reference has your nickname. Yeah, Mister Seeds. Mister Seeds. Yeah, yeah. Is this a thing? Like, do you go by that, or is this just a Baseball Reference thing? I mean, if you if you call me in the street or here in the state, I'm gonna. If you call me like that, I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when did this start? I don't know. It just uh, it was uh, at the beginning when I was in in Toronto. I see celebrate uh, all the teams celebrate with different things, and uh, in that time we don't have anything. And I said, oh, "Well, I'm gonna start just dumping sits in the in the heads when somebody hit a home or I don't know. It just it just start it start like that, and then it gets it gets like uh, a thing in in in, in Toronto." So I just keep doing it. A lot of fans don't like it, but really, yeah. Well, it's probably a lot better than an ice bucket. And we'll tell yeah. you right now: when you hit those four hundred foot bombs plus out there, watch out for Ty France. He's going to be the one who's coming after you with the water. Just, just giving you that one little piece of advice. I mean, it's fine. I mean, <laughs> anything that that, that that you do after you hit a homer, it's, I, I take it. <laughs> <laughs> you've hit a lot of home runs in your career. Do you have a favorite home run that you've hit? Uh, yeah, it was the the one that I hit last year, uh, opening day. We were losing a game. Uh, it was seven to one, I think. Against Texas, and we came all of it all the way back, and I hit a homer, three-run homer to tie the game. So that's that's one of the biggest one and one of my favorites. And obviously the ones that I hit in in, in the walk. <laughs> I, 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 I thought you were going, man. <laughs> well, that was a gimme. Yeah, yeah. But th- those are different. Those are different. All right. Well, tell you, Oscar. It's great to have you in Seattle. It's great to see you. We can't wait to see you on the field. Thanks Thank so much for the time. We appreciate it. Appreciate you guys. Thank you for having me. One of the newest Mariners, Teoscar Hernandez. The Mariners promo schedule is here. It's jam-packed. Can't miss giveaways. A Julio bobble, a JP Funko pop, the clinch cow bobble, Mariners crossbody bags, seven fireworks nights, so much more. Check out the full lineup and get your tickets at mariners.com slash promotions. We're going to talk to the newest member of the Mariners coaching staff coming up next. He just Walked off the field. Stephen Vogt on the way right after this. Hot Stove continues. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. The 3-1 swing, and this is shot out to right field. A lot of trouble, and this is gone. Steven Vogt on a 3-1 offering goes deep out to right field for the first run of this game. It's one to nothing A's on a no-doubter by Stephen Vogt. Hot Stove is back. Gary Hill, Shannon Dreyer. Yeah, Mariners have faced Stephen Vogt enough. And now he's on the Mariners' side as we get a chance to sit down. Our first conversation with the newest member of the Mariners' coaching staff, bullpen coach Stephen Vogt, joins us now. And the place to start is how excited are you to be a member of the Seattle Mariners' coaching staff? I uh, couldn't be more excited to be joining the Seattle Mariners staff and an organization that's in the position they are and um, just the, makes it for a really good transition from playing into coaching. And I couldn't be more thrilled uh, to be in Seattle. Part of that transition seemed to be kind of your goodbye tour or kind of, I use that in quotes. You seem like you had kind of a unique kind of just way to kind of close the door that played out over a little bit of time with I, the A's. I did. Yeah, I was, I felt very blessed that the Oakland A's um, felt that they wanted to do that for me and, I kind of knew, made the decision kind of halfway through the year that it was going to be it. And so I wanted to enjoy my last few months with that decision made. And and then that right at the end of the season, the last kind of nine, ten days, the Oakland A's really honored me and thanked me just for the, the six years that I was with them. And, and I couldn't, I can't even put into words what that meant for my family and for me. And it was a really special ending to a, a, a really fun career. It was, it was always fun from our perspective to go to Oakland and to it's not a giant fan base that we see there every night, but they're very passionate and very connected to you. How would you describe your relationship with the Oakland fan base? Um, You know, I think what it was is that I was just a regular guy that was out there. (laughs) And I think I'm someone that, that people can relate to because when you watch me play, there's not going to be this greatness. There's not going to be this flash, this flair. It's like, Hey, I, you know, if that guy can do it, I can do it. And I think there's an element of that with Oakland, and, and I am. I'm a regular guy. I interact with fans a lot. I let them in. I let them get to know me. I'm very real and open and candid with them. And uh, I think that's something that people gravitate towards, and especially in Oakland in a town like that um, where you don't get the huge crowds every night. You don't get – there's a ton of passionate fans that are at home, but they're not at the ballpark. And so for the select group that does show up every day, we really made it a point and me especially i want to thank them for being there because it really does help us play better it really does mean a lot and so i think just connecting with the fans in oakland in that way and just being who i was i think it was a, it was a really good match what was the most unique part of being in oakland a oh man um <laughs> besides the white cleats besides the uh <laughs> the coliseum uh I think I think it's a it's a pride that we all play with and Bob Melvin really did a great job when I was I was fortunate enough to play for him there and saying that this is our this is our stadium. This is our field. Like wearing this uniform means that we show up to work every day and we give it our all for our fans. And that was the, so to me it was the unique perspective of we know we're not going to have a packed stadium. We know we have the Coliseum which is beautiful in its own way but it's 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 the Coliseum, and but we're going to go out there and play, and we're going to make it tougher on whoever comes to town, and that's our objective. And so, the, to me, it's that we had this you know phrase green collar, you know instead of blue collar, but that's really what it was. Is we're going to go out there and we're going to make your life miserable for nine innings. We may not win, but we're going to make your life miserable for nine innings. 
course, you've been on the other side against the Mariners all these years with the A's, including last year. What did you see from this Mariners team on the other side? I saw, obviously, there's so much talent in that dugout and in that organization. Um, but what I saw was a group of guys who believed they could do it. You know, I think over the course of my career playing against the Mariners, I played against some very good Mariner teams. But there wasn't this sense of we can do it this year. It was kind of like, oh, I hope. But I really felt like the team last year, when we, when we, every time we would play them here or in Oakland, all right, boys, we got to strap it on. This team's hungry. This team believes they can do it. And that's a whole different feeling you got when you were playing against the Mariners last year. And it was a group that came together, had the talent and the belief that they were going to get it done. Have you thought about how strange it's going to be heading to spring training and you're not you're not taking the field you're not in the cage it's have you thought about just how different that's going to be for you yeah you know it's been on my mind you know kind of throughout this winter and um i haven't you know the the good part for me is i knew my playing days were done mm. you know i had i had felt okay i probably earned a couple extra years at the back end that i maybe shouldn't have got but um i kind of was able to turn the page during this last year and I went through a transition kind of late in the year in September where I was watching a game. And as a competitor and as a baseball player, what always drove me was I know I'm one of the best players in the world and I'm going to prove it every night. And when I would watch guys play, I'd be like, I can do that better. I can do that better. And towards the end of last year, I started watching the game. I'm like, man, these guys are so good. <laughs> and I'm watching other people catch and I'm watching other people hit. And I'm like, it's their time. My time's done. And I, I'm so thankful that I had that. And my wife, Alyssa, is, she's always there to talk it out with me and be a big part of it. And so it helped me realize and transition that it is time to move on. And I know there's going to be moments, to get to your point about spring training, there's going to be moments where I miss it. When I hear the crackling of the cleats on the cement, it's one of my favorite sounds of spring training that never really gets talked about. We talked about the, the pounding of the glove and the crack of the bat. Those are beautiful sounds. But one of mine as a player is, when we're walking out to the field, we walk across cement, which we never do in the regular season. We only do it in spring training. And that crackling of the cleats is, all right, it's go time. And so I think when I hear that, when I hear all the sounds, when I smell the grass, uh, when I smell the new baseballs, the pine tar, of course you're going to have feelings of missing it. But I've made that transition for me and I'm not going to miss working out. I'm not going to miss having to face <laughs> Logan Gilbert's 100-mile-an-hour fastball. I'm not going to have to miss worrying about the game from last night personally. Uh, and I can really, really just dig in and help people learn faster than I did. And that's my goal. They always say that catchers make the best managers. I don't know if that's the path that you want to be on right now or if that's the path that um, you are on. But when did it kind of come into your head that, yeah, I, I would like to be in a dugout or be in a bullpen? And, and how did you come to become with or sign with the Mariners? Yeah, I... You know, I, what, what my future holds in baseball, I'm not 100% sure. I know this is that I, I love this game and I love this industry and I love the major leagues. It's the best baseball on the planet. Mm. And um, I've always known I wanted to coach. And at what level, I'm not sure or in what capacity. But for me, it kind of happened organically. You know, the Mariners reached out with a possible job opportunity and it kind of morphed its way into realizing I want to be on the field. I want to be in there every day because unless you've spent 162 games in a clubhouse, in uniform, traveling, you have no idea what these guys go through on a day-in and day-out basis. You just don't. 
And so for me, coming fresh off of doing that for the last 16 years, being able to help those guys transition and, like I said, learn faster, the only way I could do that is with some baseball pants on coaching. And it just became clear, and I'm so fortunate the opportunity came along with the Mariners to join a team in a franchise like this. What do you feel like you bring to the role? Uh, I think I bring a lot. Um, I'm very confident in that. And I think I bring a, a world of expertise from as far as calling baseball games, understanding pitch sequences, understanding competing. Um, I've had to work every inch for everything I ever earned in this game. And like I said, I've learned a lot of lessons and I want to help people learn them faster. I uh, I had to... I've sat out full years with injuries. I've been sent down from the major leagues 10 times. I've been DFA'd twice. I've been traded. I've been released. I've been, you name it, I've been an all-star. Yeah. I No matter what someone is going through outside of an absolute superstar, because I have no idea what they're thinking. I, I <laughs> could never have one of their, one of their thoughts. But um, outside of that, I know what these guys are going through. So I can read the body language. I can have those conversations, have the relationship with guys to just help. That's all I want to do. Um, I want to learn as much as I can from this unbelievable coaching staff and front office. And I want to learn from the players. But I want to be there to help talk things out. I've been back behind the plate in playoff games. I've been in the box with the game on the line with two outs in the ninth facing the, the best closers. And I know what you guys are going through. And I've succeeded and failed at it multiple times. So to be able to be a sounding board for the players and for the staff, we're going to learn a lot from each other, and I know I'm going to be able to help contribute and bring a lot of that to this team. Who have been some of the influences that you've had? A coach that has helped you along the line or left a big imprint? Uh, I, I We don't have enough time for me to, to thank all those people or give them a shout-out, but to pick a few, Bob Melvin um, was my manager for six years or five years in Oakland, and the, what I learned from him was how to be how to be the same person every day and how to let players just go be themselves. He never asked us to be anything. He never said, do this. No, it was go be the best version of yourself. And he'd help us along the way to discover that. But it was never telling someone what they needed to be or what the, his expectations of you was. It was just go play. Um, he's one. And then actually the other one was Matt, is Matt Catraro. He just got the managing job with the Kansas City Royals. He was my first manager in Pro Bowl, my first two years in the minor leagues, and he taught me everything I know about work and how to be a professional and how to make sure that you are doing everything you can do to be prepared to play every single day and the things that it takes away from the field, on the field, in your personal life, and everything. Um, I can't thank him enough for the foundation that he laid in those first two seasons of minor league baseball that allowed me to to get have the career that I did, and so just to pick two off the top of my head, those two um, I've I still talk, chat with both of them pretty regularly, and they're still huge in, influences on me. Are you bringing out your catcher Smith to the bullpen with you, Oof. just in case? Just in case, oh. sliders, <laughs> lots of sliders. <laughs> only if only if they give me a stool that I can sit on. <laughs> I don't need to be squatting down anymore. The world doesn't need to see that anymore. I mean, sixteen years. How are the knees after all that? You doing okay? Yeah, knees are all right. <laughs> That's good. My hips and back are another story, but you know, it's it's kind of nice, you know, not having to be working out as hard as I used to, and. Uh, not having to eat as much as I used to and all that stuff. So um, actually, I feel pretty blessed. My body feels pretty good, and 
Um, just need to be able to do, be able to catch my kids and be able to play catch with some of these pitchers this year and play some golf. And for fans that don't know, you're a local guy. You've been, you've been around here for a while. I have, yeah. I've lived in Olympia for 13 years now. Yeah. And uh, my wife, Alyssa, grew up in Olympia, went to Capitol High School. And we met in college, and we moved back up here in 2009. So I guess ooh, 14 years ago, we've been been living up in the Northwest. So I've been a Northwest resident now for 14 off seasons, and we uh, feel really blessed to have an opportunity to stay home. The first time in 16 years, we don't have to move as a family. So it's a uh, <laughs> it's a it's a it's an unbelievable feeling, and it's a it's a dream. It's a dream to be making the transition here in Seattle. Well, congrats. It's great to have you. It's great to chat with you, and we'll be seeing you very soon in Arizona. Thanks for the time. We appreciate it. You bet. Can't wait to get down there. Steven Vogt, newest member of the Mariners coaching staff. We had some A's conversation in here. We're going to have some more A's conversation coming up next. Chris Townsend, part of the A's broadcast team. Really interesting conversation coming up next. There's a lot happening with the A's, so we're going to talk about it as we continue our opposing previews in the AL West as the hot stove rolls along right after this. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Hot Stove continues. Gary Hill and Shannon Dre are here as we sit down with Chris Townsend, part of the Oakland A's broadcast team. Part of A's cast, you can find him on Twitter at Townsend Radio. Chris, it's great to have you with us tonight. We're going to dive a lot into the A's and what the athletics are looking like coming into the season. But let's start the conversation with a guy we just talked to, Stephen Vogt, a newest member of the Mariners coaching staff, of course, a beloved Oakland A. How would you describe his connection to the fan base, how the fans feel about Stephen Vogt? You know, normally when you're a player that has, as you said, a great connection with a fan base, you think of a player as someone who's going to get Hall of Fame votes, someone that you think about you're going to retire their number, maybe potentially when we ever get a new ballpark like you guys have where Griffey has the statue out front. But it, it just really shows you what a great human being Stephen Vogt is, how he has connected over time because he hasn't been with us the whole time, right? But his time in Oakland has been so special and just a salt-of-the-earth person. You guys are so lucky. You're going to love him on an everyday basis. What he, what he means to everyone. It doesn't matter who you are in the organization. You will have a connection with him. There will be a friendship. There will be mutual respect. And I don't say you get that from most guys, to where everybody will know him, everybody will love him, and it's why we will always celebrate him. He's truly one of the great Oakland A's, even though he's not a Hall of Famer and we've had our Hall of Famers and we've had our World Series champions and we've had, you know, these eras of A's baseball, 70s, 80s, even in the early 2000s of phenomenal players, even though he's not that guy, you're never going to look at his baseball reference page and go, wow, Stephen Vogt's one of the great A's of all time. I'm putting him with Ricky Henderson and Reggie Jackson and Catfish Hunter, but he is one of the most loved A's of all time. And uh, it's, it's because he's such a special person. The way he, his family grew up with his wife, his, his young kids, as they got older around Oakland, it's, it really was such a special relationship. And it's sad that he's going to be with the Mariners. Great for you guys. But uh, at least he's in division. We'll still be able to talk to him all the time. So where are these new Stephen Vogt's new A's, beloved A's, going to come from? You know, the Mariners took the step back a few years ago and they had a big plan. I know it's more of a rotating or revolving plan with the A's. Where are they with this right now? 
Well, if you really look at our track record, we, we don't go so much to where we're going to go through five, six years of a rebuild. That's just not what the A's do. I mean, we're, we're basically what you see when it comes to what you need to do if you want to be competitive in modern baseball and be a smaller market is you're going to have your opportunity to win two, three years, maybe four at most, and then you take a step back. I mean, just you just look at it. Look where we were in 12, 13, and 14. We're in the playoffs. Take the step back. Here we're back, 18, 19, 20, and even in, in, into 21 where we won, what was it? We won 86 games. We're in that step back again. But the thing with the A's is we don't go full dumpster fire. We're not sitting here taking guys from other teams who are 18, 19, 20. A lot of the guys that we end up picking up in these trades are players that have had a little big league time or they're about ready for the big league. So our, our, our journey to the bottom, let's just say, isn't as long as most teams traditionally. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, in Billy Bean and David Forrest, we trust because they have that track record that we're never bad for that long. And then before you know it, we sneak back up on you. And there we are in the postseason. So we're probably a year or two away, but we have a lot of these guys that are about to be ready to play big league baseball. We're not sitting here relying. We're not doing what the Astros did years ago or what the Orioles did years ago, where you're relying on a bunch of young kids and you hope we have a bunch of guys who are ready to start playing. So hopefully we will be more competitive this year, but I would say next year and the year after that, or or when you're going to look up again and go, wow, here they are again. Remember, we always surprise people, right? Every single year, no one gives us a shot. Everybody says, and then all of a sudden you're like, here the A's are again, but that won't be this year. Who are some of the guys going into spring training that you're looking at that you think will be part of this core moving forward? A lot has to do with pitching. Like you look at Ken Waldachuk and JP Sears. They're two of the guys we got from the Yankees. Uh, Sears actually pitched well at the big league level for the Yankees before we got him, but they were guys in AAA. Ken Waldachuk actually played ball here at St. Mary's College. He's definitely a stuff guy. We got Kyle Moeller for the in the Sean Murphy trade. For uh, in the Sean Murphy trade, we got him over big left-handed pitcher. He actually had a complete game in AAA last year. I was like, is is this? That's like finding Bigfoot for God's sakes! A complete game in the minor leagues for a pitcher. So we have a bunch of these young pitchers that are coming. That and you know, like Ken Waldachuk last year on the last day of the year, outdueled Shohei Otani at the Coliseum. So we have these young, talented guys that are coming. Um, they better, because last year, I don't know if you guys know, we used 64 players last year. So we, we've had a little fun on my show saying for $1,000, if you can name all 64 players from last year and a bonus of $10,000, you can give me their numbers. Uh, that's the game we've been playing on my show because it's great. By the end of the year, you're looking around and going, man, we got number 67. We got 73. We look like an offensive line out there at the end of the year. We had so many guys. So we will be better this year. Um, but we do have a lot of like offensive wise, uh, a kid by the name of Geloff was our second round pick out of Virginia. Uh, he's blossomed and put up some big numbers. We expect him to, to show up this year. Tyler Soderstrom, his dad was a former first round pick for the San Francisco Giants. He's from the Central Valley here. He's kind of a prodigy kid. Uh, his dad has one of those baseball camps uh, where all these guys are going kind of like a drive line where they're all going to get better. Well, this kid's been playing with all these guys 
and he should be a big leaguer for a long time. You're going to see him this year. So there's this talent that's coming. They're not maybe the biggest names, but they're definitely guys that can play that are going to show up and they're going to help. It's going to be last year was you had such the problem last year that you, you were going to trade all these guys, but you also had a lockout. So you had the lockout ends. Now you just got to trade a bunch of these guys and you got to do it quickly and everything happened so quickly and you weren't able to, you know, you have the big pond that people fish in for free agency and then you have that smaller pond and we've always dominated that smaller pond. Well, there really, there really wasn't fishing at that smaller pond because of the lockout. Well, that really affected last year and that's where you got all these different players. But uh, this year will de- will definitely be different. We've actually signed guys this year. When you look at uh, Peterson and DS, some veteran guys, and we have some versatility. But there are some young guys coming from the pitching standpoint and the offensive standpoint that you will see in Oakland that, you know, you hope will be a big part of your future. Bob Melvin was a longtime staple in that dugout there in Oakland. What were the reviews on Mark Kotze's first season? He's he's very much like Bob 2.0. And obviously, you know, I, I did the Bob Melvin show and still talk with Bob Melvin a lot. And it was really hard to lose him because Bob was so special. He was a guy that understood all the hurdles. He understood the issues that you were going to have as an Oakland A's manager. He grew up here. He grew up on the peninsula. And when Bob was growing up here is when the A's were winning three straight World Series. And he wore number six to honor Sal Bando, who we just lost, our former captain. So Bob got you talk about a manager that gets it for. And I know, you know, whatever happened up there in Seattle, but in Oakland, Bob Melvin was perfect. I mean, you think of you got two Hall of Fame managers that were here, Dick Williams and Tony La Russa. Bob Melvin has more wins than them as, as an Oakland A manager. So when we lost him, it was devastating. But Mark Kotze, being a former A and being a guy that they've been grooming and have been on Bob Melvin's staff, losing Melvin, bringing in Kotze, Kotze obviously knew coming in what the deal was. You're going to have a lot of different players. Last year was going to kind of be, you know, we'll call it as it is, a train wreck, but we're going to get better and we'll get better fast. And Mark Kotze basically told everybody, listen, we're going to use so many different players. He had the speech at spring training that was great. You know, because he's been through everything. He's been on good teams. He's been on bad teams. When he plays 17 years in the big leagues, you, you, you and for a lot of different organizations and for a lot of different managers, Mark Kotze played for a lot of great managers. Um, you, you learn a lot of things. So the way, the message that he had for everybody at the big league level all the way down was, you know, you're all going to get an opportunity. And Mark Kotze did something last year that I don't think a lot of veteran managers do. He had a lot of connection with the young players in our minor league system where he was getting on something like this, like a Zoom call with guys in A-ball, with guys down in Arizona in the rookie league. So he was a manager that you were hearing his voice. You were seeing his face which is like unheard of, right? That the big league manager is taking time. He's out on the road. He's getting on these calls with the minor league team. Just remember saying, hey, guys, this is your goal. This is where you want to be. And so I think, you know, first year, there's going to be a you know, decision-making. I mean, so when you lose 102 games, what are we talking about with decision-making, right? You knew you are going to lose almost every single night. But I think from a messaging standpoint and a leadership standpoint, we saw a lot of great qualities in Mark And once again, if you go back and look, whether it's Bruce Bochy or Tito Francona or all the different great managers that Mark Kotze played for, I think there's a little bit of all those guys in Mark 
What's your view on this division and how you think it may shake out through the course of the season? Isn't it amazing, you know, being down at the winter meetings and seeing all this love for Dusty Baker and the Astros. It's just, it, it really is amazing to me. And I know Evan Drellich of The Athletic, who's down there in Houston, has covered them for a long time. He's come out with a book. He's going to join my show coming up here about how you can be so successful despite all the dysfunction. How you can win no matter what. I mean, the Astros are truly amazing in a good and bad way. Their players, fantastic. I mean, how many teams can say, they, if you don't agree to the kind of contract they want, that they can say, see you later, Correa, see you later, Cole, see you later, Verlander, see you later to anybody, and nobody, like, calls them on it. Like, most teams, you lose players with those kind of pedigrees. Everybody's freaking out, and the Astros do whatever they want. They don't care what the, the PR hit is. They don't care what their fans think, and they just keep on winning. It's uh, And until somebody, you know, then all of a sudden they sign a Brayu, here's now a big right-handed bat. I know he's not the same guy, but he's still going to, in that ballpark, he's still going to put up numbers, and we'll see how they replace Verlander because I do believe that's a lot of innings. It's a lot of wins and a lot of innings, but – the Astros are the cream of the crop. It's hard to believe. What, six straight ALCSs, four World Series appearance, two World Series, and they keep winning despite all the things that go on around them and the stuff that you hear. Uh, it's nice to see. It was good to see you guys get into the playoffs. That was pretty hard to believe that, you know, a great baseball town and all the talent that's gone through Seattle that you guys hadn't been in the playoffs since 01. That was good to see, and you guys are going to be there, no question about it. Um, the big wild, I mean, Texas has spent a lot of money, but I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it whatsoever. I, 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 you can throw a lot of, we've seen teams throw a lot of money at it. I'm just, I, you know, when they, oh, they got Jacob DeGrom. I've been saying it for years. Great. He goes out there for five, maybe six innings. And then the game starts, right? Seager without the shifts. I mean, he was already bad defensively. Now he's going to be really exposed without the shifts. Their defense isn't very good. So I'm not really buying them. A wild card is always talk about this. This was crazy. So, you know, that last series of the year, uh, last season, remember it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Nobody really cared about the bad teams. It was us against the angels. It was kind of like, why are we doing this? As I told you, we played 64 players last year. That's the record for the A's. The angels, they use 65 guys. Now for us, it sounds okay. We're going through a rebuild. They've got Trout, they got Otani, they got Rendon, they got one of the highest payrolls, and they used 65 guys last year. So I, I think this will be another year where you have people say, oh, look out for the Angels, and you're going to have us going, I'm not buying it. I mean, to me, it's a two-horse race between you guys and the Astros. I think no question. Too many question marks about pitching and defense for the Texas Rangers. And it's going to look good with Bochy and all the money that they spent. And still, it's... You know, Tani, it's funny. It's like he pitches once every six days. And when you're a DH, I, I actually got into this with the Angels writer. I said, you know, if I just start, if we get into data and everything, I just look at the math. They go, well, Tani's a DH. He's only playing. He's only participating in essentially a couple innings a game. It's nine innings. You're a DH. You don't play defense. You got, you know, four at-bats. If he doesn't do anything in those four at-bats, you know, I, I, okay, 
You're going to pay this guy all this money? Good luck. I mean, he he makes them a ton of money. So that whole thing about him leaving, I'm not buying it because if you really look into the business of Otani, what he makes, your return on investment is incredible with Shea Otani, but I'm not buying the Angels. No pitching. Um, they are who they are. I think they're, I think they're going to be a train wreck again, too. Okay, first off, I love your I'm not buying it. I think we ought to cut that out and we ought to use that as a drop. We should have that on hold, and, and that, that could be a thing right there. I think that's great. You mentioned uh, Billy Bean a couple of minutes ago, and it's a question I get from a lot of people you know, that, that don't work in the game. There's a lot of curiosity still about him, and it is, what, what is he doing right now? What's his involvement in the A's? So Billy, Billy no longer is going to be the head of baseball ops. Uh, we knew this was coming a long time ago when you've been in the game, you know, you got to realize he took over in 1997. So say to your, say to your audience, where were you in 1997? That's how long Billy Bean has been running the A's. And, and there was, you know, the rumblings about that, you know, the Red Sox group that's been acquiring all these teams and what they've been doing overseas in soccer that they, you know, Billy was going to join that group. It didn't end up happening. and. You know, Billy already is on boards of different companies. He's on a board of a soccer team. He's got a he's got a lot of interest other than running a baseball team day to day. So right now he is just going to be uh, the right hand man of our owner, John Fisher. And that's how his involvement is still going to be with the Oakland Athletics. And he's here for the organization. David Force, who has been our general manager now for a few years, will still run stuff through Billy and off Billy. But. Baseball operations, that's not what Billy is actually running now anymore for the Oakland Athletics. He really is basically that he's got the fancy title, but he's the right-hand man to our owner, not only for our owner and the A's, but, you know, our owner has a lot of other, including the gap and all these other things. He's going to help the owner in other business also. So it's just evolving in a career. I mean, at some point, you know, are we calling a guy up? Are we doing this? Are we doing that? You know, you've been there, done that. It's time that you evolve into other things. And Billy has a lot of interest outside of baseball, too. So this was just natural, natural for him to, to, to start doing other things. But still being a part of the A's family, because, as you know, he said in his press conference, this is who I am. This is where I this is where I essentially grew up. And he never wants to leave that. Chris, we continue to read about the Coliseum and rumors and everything else involving the A's in the stadium and everything. I, I think about the fans in this, in this situation too. It's such a passionate fan base and such a, they love the Oakland A's. How, how difficult has this been? Well, I, I'm so sure longtime Seattle fans remember back to, you know, what's going to happen with the kingdom Are the Mariners going to stay and what's going to happen with the supersonics. All of a sudden the supersonics left. I mean, you guys have been through it before. I mean, think in a very short time, Oakland has lost the NFL and the NBA in a very short amount of time. It's crazy. Not enough people talk about that. I mean, you had the Raiders go to Vegas and you had the Warriors, even though people go, well, they stayed in town. No, they went across the Bay to San Francisco. They took their offices. They took their tax money. They took everything, their employment. They took everything and took it to a different city. San Francisco is not Oakland. So they left. Um, where are we? You know, it's funny. I was I was going down to the, you know, we had the golf tournament here in the Northern California at Pebble Beach this week. And I was driving down. I was up early and I was watching. I was listening to the uh the front office show 
on Sirius XM with uh, Jim Bowden and Jim Duquette. And they do a great job, but they're talking about our situation and Tampa's situation because obviously baseball wants to expand. One of the teams is going to be Dave Stewart, our old pitcher, A's Hall of Famer, who they're all set in Nashville. I do a lot of TV with Dave, so I've gotten to know exactly what they got going. They're going to be the Nashville Stars. They have all their money in place. They got the money in the account ready for the expansion fee. They've got their they've got they've worked with the local politicians. They have exactly where they're going to build. It's just not a ballpark, but they're going to build an arena. They're going to help out Tennessee State uh, with some stuff. I mean, they've got their whole plan ready to rock as soon as baseball is ready to go. So that's one of the teams that will be the expansion team. I don't know where the other team will be yet. But basically, baseball can't expand to 32 until you got Oakland and Tampa set. And, you know, this goes back to way back to when the A's wanted to move to Fremont, which is south of Oakland. Then they wanted to move to San Jose, blocked by the Giants. And the only reason why they were able to be blocked by the Giants, because a two-team market has equal territorial rights. So Mets, Yankees, White Sox, Cubs, a uh, Angels, and the uh, Dodgers, they have equal territorial rights. Well, we gave that up years ago. We gave that up to the uh, to the San Francisco Giants when the San Francisco Giants tried to move to San Jose. But so we gave them those territorial rights so they could get it on the ballot in San Jose to move from San Francisco to San Jose. Well, they two ballots failed in San Jose. So they had to either make it work in San Francisco or they were going to go to St. Petersburg, Florida. They would have been the Tampa Giants playing in the trop. Well, they saved it in San Francisco, but then the Giants said, hey, we had to pay for our own ballpark. We're keeping these territorial rights. And the A's, for whatever reason, I wasn't around then, didn't grab those rights back saying, hey, we're a two-team market. It's equal rights. So when the A's tried to go to San Jose, which is now Silicon Valley and all the money in the company, the Giants blocked it. So this has been going on for a long, long time. So basically, they were forced to stay in Oakland. And I find it funny that I don't know if you guys have been following the Tampa situation because it's been, do we do it in St. Petersburg or Tampa? It's been a mess. Well, now they've come out with these new renderings and they're going to build and build this little trop city right where they are. And everybody's like, oh, they're safe. They're not going to do Montreal. And I'm listening to the press conference. I'm like going, are you kidding me? Their their president in this press conference and after was saying, hey, we can't wait to meet with the mayor and see what the mayor's ideas are. They have nothing. They have a press conference and renderings. They have no agreement. The city council hasn't voted on it. No one's decided how it gets paid for. And everybody looks at the A's situation and they go, oh, my God, the A's are we. Oakland has gotten over 300 million in grants. We have passed all these hurdles. Part of where our ballpark is going to be is on the port which was going to be the big vote. Can they get the port? We won the port vote. We are so far ahead of where Tampa is, but they have a press conference and the mayor says they, they want to do it. And the national media thinks they're ahead of us. I'm like, they have no idea how far they are. We've gone so far down this road. And then you throw Vegas in there. Vegas had to be brought in because, you know, Raiders moving to Vegas, that freaks everybody out. You had to bring a boogeyman in to be able to have some leverage. You got to have leverage with politicians, bottom line. So we're down in Vegas. So it's as, as our team president says, Dave Cavill, it's a, you know, you know, it's two tiers. It's parallel pass. So where we are right now is trying to get that agreement final, having the city council vote on it, 
agree on it. We agree because you got to have a plan. You got to agree on a plan before you put shovels in the ground. And hopefully that's going to hopefully we're going to find out coming up here. Exactly. All right. Is it Oakland or is it Vegas? Right now, they're down meeting in Vegas. Suppose there's been good meetings that we've been a lot in Vegas. I don't know how much you guys know that there's been a lot of meetings down in Vegas. So we're going to see. But it is hard to build in California. It is hard to build on Portland It's hard dealing with city officials when they have issues that are beyond baseball. And it's beyond building a new ballpark. This is a for in Oakland. This is a twelve billion dollar project. It's the most expensive project in California history. Think about that. I don't think a lot of people understand how big this project is, how expensive this project is. Um, as they like to say, it's complicated. <laughs> That's a good summary. Thank you for that. And it's hard to put it all into words. To be yeah, honest with you, when you get asked the questions, it's like there's so much going on. It's hard to like. There, and it's been going on for years. I mean, our we've had we've had stuff going on in Sacramento. This goes to Washington D.C. I mean, everything to get built in. It's really hard to build in California. It's hard to build in Oakland. It's hard to build where part of the land's on the port. I mean, that's why it's so valuable, right? Think about that. Building on the San Francisco Bay Area, mm-hmm. or I should say, the San Francisco Bay, it's worth a lot of money. Most people can't build on the San Francisco Bay anymore. That was that's been long gone. This would be a fresh project on the Bay in San Francisco. How much that would be worth on the Oakland side? It's worth a lot of money. So it's it's really complicated. What's your gut on what the final outcome is going to be be here? I think it gets done in Oakland because it's gotten to be so far, right? And Oakland needs this project. Oakland needs this project for jobs. I mean, so many things after the pandemic. Different projects stalled and have gone away in Oakland. This is the one major project, the construction of everything that's going to be around it, all the commercial real estate property, all the condos, all the stuff that goes on. I mean, the local builders and unions and all these people are behind it because it's going to be jobs. And then you're talking about turning a part of Oakland into just a great, you know, we see it 13 miles away. If you look at a map and look at where, that part south of Market Street in San Francisco, what it looked like before then Pac Bell was opened and what it looks like now, you'd be amazed, right? You'd be amazed at what San Francisco looked like then and what it looks like now. So we have a 13 miles across the bay. You can see if you build a ballpark, what it can do for a city. And we have that blueprint. So uh, I, I think we're just so far down the line and. I know baseball fans want it to all be about new ballpark means players, which you see it. New ballparks get built. There's that honeymoon period, and it doesn't mean there's going to be endless cash and endless free agents coming. You guys can attest to that. But I think what you need to realize is that there's so much money to be made off this project that I think you're kind of crazy to walk away from it. Once again, building on the bay, the waterfront, is an opportunity not many people get. Um, so you build a ballpark, you build it right there on the water. It could be something really, really special. Well, Chris, we kept you for a long time. It's your own fault. You're too good, but we, <laughs> I'm we, all warmed we, up we, now. This is like BP. <laughs> I'm ready for my show now. It's great. <laughs> Thank you for all the time tonight. We'll talk to you soon. You guys be well, Chris Townsend, part of the A's broadcast team. We will wrap things up when we return on hot stove right after this. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. 
Oh, welcome back one final time to Hot Stove tonight. We have a couple more of these before we smoothly glide into the Cactus League report when spring training opens. So a couple of more hot stoves until everyone gets down to Arizona. Pitchers and catchers reporting right around the corner as we get closer and closer to opening day. If you missed any part of this show, you can catch it all on Mariner's Pod coming up tomorrow. It was a great one. We started speaking with Cal Raleigh. Jerry Depoto joined us. Teoscar Hernandez, first time chatting with him. Stephen Vogt as well. And Chris Townsend from the Oakland A's broadcast. This was a good one. And that's going to do it for us tonight. Thanks a lot to Brady back in our Seattle studios. For Aaron Goldsmith and Shannon Dreher, this is Gary Hill saying so long. We'll talk to you next week on Hot Stove.